And it's even, it's really, it's infrastructure. We're spending way more time now on the you know, information highway than we are on, on asphalt highways. <laughs> so it's, it's actually an, inf an infrastructure question. Yeah, that's a great um, quote, actually. That was a small snippet from our guest for today, Eli Meltzer from Meltzer Mandel Architects, all the way from Brooklyn, New York. And we're going to be talking about affordable housing, housing, and a lot more in this episode. Let's go. You're about to enter the Akyong Podcast. Akyong Podcast. India's first and very own architecture podcast, where you'll hear the insights, experiences, and journeys from India's leading architects. No matter what your skill level is, together, we'll build on our knowledge and share architecture's greatest stories ever told. Now, here's your host, Manish Paul Simon. Hey guys, this is Manish here and welcome back to the Arc Yarn Podcast where you will get some awesome yarn on architecture, design, tech and everything related to architecture. So in this episode, we have with us Eli Meltzer all the way from Brooklyn, New York and he's the principal architect at Meltzer Mandel Architects. So Meltzer Mandel Architects was founded by Eli's father, Marvin H. Meltzer, almost 40 years ago. And they specialize in a variety of housing projects like low-income, affordable housing, homeless housing. And their portfolio also encompasses market rate and luxury housing. So it's needless to say that they've gone on to win various national and international awards for their work. And they've been published in various media publications all around the world. And regarding Eli, he's presently the principal architect at Meltzer Mandel Architects. And he oversees most of the work in the firm. He's a huge advocate for the latest and greatest in design technology like BIM and parametric algorithms. And he likes working on the cutting edge of building design and construction. He's also a published author and has presented at various national and international conferences. And he's published articles on the topic of design and development of Jewish institutional capital projects. So this is going to be more of a housing based episode. We're going to go talk in depth on affordable housing, What's the housing going to be like in the future? The future of architects and how we're going to work post-pandemic. How Eli transitioned from philosophy to architecture. So there's going to be a lot of philosophy as well in the episode. Designing future homes, multifunctional homes, architectural education, sustainability, and there's a whole lot more in this jam-packed episode. So for more on the episode, like podcast show notes and links, head to arkyan.com slash 48. Let's jump straight to the episode. Eli starts off by sharing how he got into architecture. Let's go. Sure. I mean, as, as you mentioned, I, I studied originally philosophy. Um, I actually studied film. Uh, and uh, I didn't necessarily always plan to go into architecture. You know, growing up, my father had the business and I grew up in Manhattan. So, you know, I, I like to say from my bedroom, I could see the Chrysler building. Uh, which was which is cool, uh, and and definitely sort of around architecture. Arch Record was always in our house. Uh, when we went on vacations, we would go and check out, uh, you know, some some of the sites wherever we were. Um, my my father still talks about Arcosanti. It's a it's a sort of a whole development down in the in the Arizona desert, which he's enamored with, and that's right. a trip I remember. Um, but you know, I, I did. I, I worked for him for some summers. I did renderings even oh, in nice. high school, which was fun. Uh, that was back in the Form Z days. That was the the cutting edge technology. This was and in as, the nineties. You know, right? a teenager. 
yeah, that was in the nineties. A teenager, you know, no one in his office knew how to use it. So I was the one oh, nice. who was who was right. who was ro- rolling with Form Z. Um, but you know, so that was through high school. In college, I I, I went to a school up in New Hampshire, uh, a really good liberal arts college, and just got into the culture there. I was, you know, I said I was into philosophy. Um, just you know, out in the woods there, you get into the deep thinking. It's a really beautiful place. Yeah. Um, and and you know, deep winters, cold winters. Um, afterwards. I spent some time studying in Israel. I, I was getting oh, nice. in touch with my with my Jewish roots there, mm-hmm. um, and I, I came back home and I met my wife. And it was time to start thinking about about my career. And architecture was something I'd always had an interest in, and, and mm-hmm. I just decided I was going to go for it. And it would it would be exciting. Uh, you know, my, fortunately, I saw my father loved it, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I saw growing up it was something exciting for him, and he was always excited about it, and he loved. You know, especially the practice of architecture in, in terms of design and, and construction of the buildings. Uh, and, and so that, you know, he, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, forceful or, or, or he didn't prescribe it to me, but, I, you know, his enthusiasm for it came off. So I went to, to NGIT, New Jersey Institute of Technology. This is uh, your master's, is right? The state's. This is for a master's, yeah. This is the yeah. state school of architecture in New Jersey, and it's the largest public architecture school i think in the northeast mm-hmm. and that was a three-year program and and that was that was that was it I, I was on my way i went i graduated there in 2013 i spent a few years working at cone Patterson fox mm-hmm. on uh on the hudson yards project 5500 yards specifically mm-hmm. which was a really good introduction i got to do sort of everything it's a 50-story skyscraper here in manhattan right um, and I did everything from the foundation to blast hardening and waterproofing and bathrooms and curtain walls and the right. roofing. And, and, uh, I actually was the BIM coordinator for that project. So I, I modeled the curtain wall, which was very difficult and rolled yeah, that yeah. out on Revit, right? On Revit. Yeah. That was, that was a, a really big task. Um, and it had these, like my, has these modular panels. So and then pro and Revit families back in the days that yeah it had a few layers to it um i get i get a little bit dizzy just thinking about it <laughs> you know um and so after that i spent a few years at a smaller firm it's called clement has been doing some institutional work hospitals and schools um did, did some project management over there Mm-hmm. And now, about two years, I've been working in the firm Meltzer Mandel and uh, working with my father, and and just sort of, as you mentioned, just getting so soaking up the we call it the Hauser mentality and and the mm-hmm. housing ethos and understanding what that's all about. Um, and then you know, obviously, more technical aspects of the business, you know, which now is 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 everyone's talking about things like payroll and staffing and yeah office space and all these other things that come along with it. Yeah, definitely. Like before we get into like, you know, uh, how things are going to change uh, during this uh, time, um, you know, like uh, how much, uh, why did you uh, work with your dad right off the bat, you know, because he was a established architect working in uh, New York. Uh, why did you go through this journey of, you know, working for other firms, going through a different transition and then joining uh, your dad's firm? 
I mean, I think part of it was the amount that I've learned. Hmm. And, and frankly, you know, it's a competitive business. New York City is, is a competitive place. And I, you know, went through the gauntlet a little, so to speak. Part of it also had to do with just where the firm was at. Uh, you mentioned a little bit of the history, but I'll give some more background. The, yeah, my, sure. my father has been in, in New York City real estate probably for, more, for about 50 years. Oh, he wow. was a developer in, in the 1980s. Um, the market in New York City is you know, one of the first, not the first, but in terms of real estate crash at the end of the 1980s, that was a really big deal. And that affected him. After that, he, he went out of development and he was just doing architecture. And that, that's when he actually got into affordable housing was after the crash in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the affordable housing industry in New York City was really starting to ramp up. And, and he was in on that supportive housing, formerly homeless housing, uh, women's shelters. And, and I mean, frankly, that, that there was not much other work going on at that point because of the state of the market. Uh, so now in 1995, he partnered up with a man named David Mandel, and that's the Mandel of Meltzer Mandel. Right, right. Um, and they started the firm, and, and the market was picking up at that time, and they just did really well. They did probably about 10,000 units, initially a lot of affordable, but more and more market rate and luxury. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we like to say that we sort of, we mirror what the market is. We like to respond to the market. So it just happens to be, I think, that in terms of volume, affordable housing is is most of what gets, not most, but is a larger percentage of what gets built, somewhere around maybe 60% of what gets built in one form or another. And and so that's where we are. We we try to respond to the market. But as market rate heats up, you know, depending on the cycles, we get more and more into it. Um, David passed away. He was, he was a young man. He's in his 50s in mm-hmm. 2008. And then the market went out again in 2008. Yeah. So... In that period, my father was was sort of ratcheting down the business a little bit. He's in his 80s now. Mm-hmm. And so when I came out of school, the business was also, it was, it was I guess, it was smaller than it had been. So mm-hmm. that was part of the, the calculation also. And, and the time, it just sort of worked out that, that when I came in, it was the right time. And, and now we're growing again. And was it that like uh, you always worked on housing projects or was it all, also a mix of, you know, taking up, uh, like in our case in India, we do take up interior design projects. Uh, we take up um, residences. So it's always, architects always have this uh, mix of uh, projects. So how uh, difficult was it, you know, uh, you know, just sticking to affordable housing or housing type projects? I think, I think part of it, again, it, it, it has to do with the market. That's that's the a large large volume of what gets built in New York City, hmm. right? And that's where my father raised his family. That's where I live, and where my fam- I'm raising my family. And he wanted to stay local, and and part of it also it really has to do comes down to with like marketing. You know, the, mm-hmm. you sort of know if you can put yourself in a niche, you can know who to speak to and how to speak to them, and and you can be more specific and targeted in your marketing and you can be more aggressive. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then on the flip side, in terms of production, you know, we, we feel like we have our product very, very finely honed Mm -hmm. when it, when it comes to doing an apartment building in New York city, we we just think we're the best. And we think when it comes from zoning to the financial, you know, 
weights that are that are put on a project it's it's again it's very competitive and the margins are small and mm-hmm. and any little bit you can get of an advantage over the competition i'm talking about from a developer mm-hmm. is, is a big deal if it's a few extra you know a few hundred extra square feet or one or two extra apartments that can make or break a deal so we've sort of gone all in on that and it's been really it's been really successful for us all right great and uh, talking about design right um of housing of course you need like maximum built up space so you're pretty much constrained to a box uh, in a way so how do you uh, explore design and how do you make those projects uh, you know aesthetically pleasing uh, as an architect that's that's a great question I, i think and hopefully i think we're going to have a chance to look at some of our work yeah i you know i think we 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 always try to be a playful right and our our motto is you know if it if it costs you 10 dollars to build a building we don't need 11 dollars but you you can't only give me 9 right mm. so we we like to get involved early and clear what the budget is and once we know that then then we sort of give ourselves some room to play right and and whether it's material or colors um especially the affordable housing stuff mm. you know we 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 had a client that we did a lot of work for his name was was Peter Fine Atlantic Development and and sort of the arrangement that peter and my father had was you know he said he said to peter my father said to peter peter if 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 the building costs the same do you do you care how it looks right hmm. he said no you know hit my budget and 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 work to my pro forma and 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 otherwise you know you're the architect and and you know you make it and, and do what you need to do so so that was in a sense a license for us to have some freedom and we and we did a lot of creative things with with stucco right the drive it right. in terms of color and even in terms of form um and and that that's actually sort of what put us on the map that our buildings are distinctive hmm. uh, in that sense and 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 also in what it brings to a community you know this is uh these these buildings are you know a, a fat part of the fabric of a community and it needs to contribute to it in a, in a beautiful way. Hmm. Can you see the screen which I'm sharing? Yeah. I mean the right. project. So what we're looking at here this is this is the Roscoe Brown Apartments in uh, Bronx, New York. Right. This is an affordable housing project for Phipps Houses who are one of the largest um non-for-profit affordable housing developers in America. Mhm. and the you can see in these pictures the the building is built on a on a 40 foot tall rock outcropping oh yeah and it's a full city block and the geography in the bronx is such that these these rocks are everywhere they're either above the surface or very close to the surface mm-hmm. um in fact when they talk about the bronx the bronx refers to the hills that are up there the rocky hills that are up there right and uh, it's it's pretty dramatic you, you walk around the bronx there's big changes in elevation mm-hmm. so this was a full city block that had never been built on before just because of this rock outcropping and and just no one was able to to access the the value that was there in terms of floor area mm-hmm. and 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 potential bulk of, of a building so but we had some experience having done a lot of work in the bronx and had had a work with the rock Mm-hmm. and we said well let's just you know we said should we chop it up should we raise it you know and and what we said was let's just let's just build on top of it so what you're looking at here in this picture these are a series of bearing walls right that are running perpendicular to the street and we just slice them through the rock 
and, oh, nice. and we built on we built on top of it, right? We the first the, the first residential floor there is the is the third floor of the building above and that's above the rock. And uh, we actually were able to get all the floor area and even went to uh, New York City Planning Commission and we got um, a rezoning, a variance to get more floor area. Right. Uh, this is a hundred percent affordable housing project. So this was, you know, everyone was on board for that. And, you know, it, it turned into obviously a really dramatic piece of architecture. Um, if you can keep scrolling through. Yeah. But it, it doesn't seem like there's an entrance, right? Because the boulders uh, seem to uh, block every part of it. So it's like a play That's, between architecture and rock, right? It's funny because you can see it here, basically the, where the white uh, mass com comes down and hits and hits the grade. Right. Th that's where the entrances are. So right, there's three right. entrances. Now, they didn't know this at the time, but they have, they have concerns with access control mm -hmm. in terms of letting people, getting people into the building. So now when they design these, you, you try to provide a single point of access. Right. So th this this building had three lobbies. Now they prefer to have one lobby. So the the owner actually came to us, you know, about six months ago and said, "Can we can we connect the lobbies?" Okay. And we, so we we thought we looked at it a little bit, but we realized we could connect two of them, but we we couldn't connect them through the rock. Hmm. Um, but but there are three three entrances, and you go up and and over the rock, and and it, and it works. Uh, the, you know, the building. The building also that is split into three on the interior. Mm -hmm. It has to do again with with maximizing. Uh, there's a zoning bonus that you can get that we took advantage of by splitting it into three buildings. But the, again, the material. This is an example. The materials here. It's brick, right? There, it's brick. So it's cladding, metal cladding, and uh, it's a concrete structure with cladding, right? It's it's a. The piers that are going through the rock are poured concrete. Above mm. that, it's 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 block and plank. It's as simple as you can get. It's it's right. concrete block, you know, eight inch concrete block units, and then eight inch plank that you span, uh, that you you span from from one wall to the next. So it's it's inexpensive, and it, and it's quick to construct. And the exterior wall is just a masonry wall construction. Mm -hmm. um, and these are windows, right? There's there's, there's no curtain wall here. These are punched windows, and you know the, we, we try to get again. Like I said, we try to get playful as we can with the massing, with the fenestration, with the color. You know, it's 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 striking. The the red and the white brick is striking. Yeah. Right? And especially when you go up there in that neighborhood, it really stands out and it's special. Um, and this is this is where it's at. This this building didn't cost them more to construct, but we feel like it has a lot of character to it. And uh, you know, for us, it was it was a really fun project. Yeah, it's more like an art piece, right? Uh, and uh, Thank you. It gives you a, uh, the facade, especially the play on the facade with the various. Uh, I don't know how you've uh, managed to place those windows, whether it was because of a functional reason or more for an aesthetic reason, or it must be the. You know, I, th there's a certain. You know, there's a certain range where you can play within, right? So there's, at the end of the day, there's bedrooms and there's code requirements, how much light you need. And, and then within that, you have some room to play. There's also construction, you know, issues, 
right? If you, depending how, where the bearing is and depending how you're going to carry the brick, there, there's limitations there. So, but we, those limitations, otherwise you're just, you know, shooting in the dark. So we need some, some limitations. We need some, something to restrain us and, and give us a space to play in. And these do look like uh, floor to ceiling or at least like uh, maybe like a one foot uh, uh, sill level and maybe eight foot lintel, right? For most of the windows, so they seem pretty vertical. You know, the, the those little dark spots that you're looking at underneath yeah. the window, those are PTEC units. So the sill is actually right above that, right? right? And then we have, there's a little spandrel piece, but again, the sill is a normal sill height. Two, you know, what is it? Two foot eight, and it goes up to uh, a head height is probably about seven feet. It's not, but but it, but by stretching it over two floors, it makes it look it, it looks longer, right? Awesome, yeah. It definitely requires a special kind of knowledge uh, to design these kind of uh, housing typologies and understand not only uh, the design but also the various standards, the constraints, uh, and uh, whatnot, right? Yeah, and, you know, there, there's, again, there's so much that goes into us from building code to zoning. And, and that's why it's really important to go to an expert, whatever you're, 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 you're doing. You know, if, if it's for an office building, we don't do office buildings. And there's so much that goes into it. I've worked on office buildings. I've worked on Hudson Yards. That, mm -hmm. you know, there's all these things that go into detailing a curtain wall, right? Understanding an open floor plan for office planning, um, you know, in, in terms of the core and shell. Um, you, you know, there's so many small details that, that you, you don't know where you have room to design, what, what's it, where you have room for design and what's, and what's required. And it just, it really just takes a lot of time and doing it many, many times, right? Doing it over and over again and, and feeling the pressures of a market and feeling the, the, the pressures of the construction budget and the construction schedule. And it just has to, you know, you have to get it in your bones at some point. And do you feel like technology has helped, you know, with the, uh, I'm sure like all these projects require a BIM model, right? As a mandatory uh, submission to the uh, government or uh, to wherever you guys give those drawings. It's, it's getting more, but again, the name of the game here is simplicity, right? Hmm. So just like we, we do a lot of this, the engineers do a lot of it the builders are generally builders who are doing a lot of it. So there's sort of a lot of, you know, unspoken understanding about what this stuff needs to get done. So we, we do do some BIM, but, but in, 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 in truth, the less, the less, the better sometimes because, because people know and, and, and they don't necessarily always need that level of detail. And sometimes it can be, it can be overwhelming, but, but, you know, just the, the, the state of the art is BIM and, and people, architects now know BIM and I love BIM and there's a lot of advantages to it, but I don't think that, that it's, it's BIM. I don't think is, as is changing the quality of the architecture. Hmm. It's definitely adding, you know, levels of error checking and it's improving the quality of the, of the construction documents. That's for sure. Yeah. But I think, you know, by far, by far and wide, this is still, it's still very crafty, uh, affordable housing. You know, you still need to get your hands dirty. Now, that being said, we do try to leverage technology 
as much as you can. You know, my father does everything by hand. I, I like to use grasshopper strips. Oh, nice. Um, but it, but it comes back to the same question, which is how does that get you in touch with with what that what the architecture is is about in a tactile mm. way? And have you like incorporated some amount of scripting in any of your projects? You know, there is this big divide between what happens at the studio and what happens in reality, right? Yeah. You know, when it comes to to design, you know, for example, these these uh, these windows. This this building was not done with uh, with a script. These windows, and mm. it still looks relatively random, mm. right? Now, would it would it look more random with a script? Maybe, but where I where I like to, where I found the most benefit in the scripting is in terms of repetitive tasks and. Mm. Um, you know, efficiencies in, in workflow, right? Or even when it comes to like zoning, right? You can, you can very quickly mass out buildings with, with a script and you can get a sense of, of, of what, the, what the shape of the building, because there's a lot of restrictions in New York. So that's perfect for a script when you have, the more inputs you have, the better. Yeah. But I was in school, when I was in school, it was all about scripting, but you know, it's, it's, uh, in practice, you have to you have to pick and choose your spots, but it can be very very powerful, and and it has helped us in, in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, now the latest version of Revit, they have generative design as, uh, I mean, inbuilt, so you could possibly you know leverage that as well to understand various lighting uh, or different other inputs in the building, right? Yeah, and, and you know, the best thing for us is when we get a young guy like yourself right, comes out of school or, or is, is really up to date with the latest technology. And that's exciting for us. And we're always willing to, to try and we're always open to using these new ideas. Like it's the same, it's the same concept. We feel confident enough about what we're doing in our, in our workflow that we have room to try new things and we're always open to it. And we're always looking for, you know, for, for fresh ideas and people with, with, you know, bringing exciting ideas to the table. All right. Um, I don't know if this is going to be a vague question, but since you come from a background of uh, philosophy, right, how much of an overlap do you see uh, between architecture and philosophy? I mean, I'm sure it's uh, most of it, but still. Yeah, you know, again, it, in school, I, I was sort of a bookworm. I would I spent a lot of time in the library, into, you know, understanding and learning about architectural history and architectural philosophy. And frankly, for the last you know, seven years, it, it didn't play out that much. Now, that being said, and I think this maybe is a good time to transition, is g- given given what's going on, given, given the pandemic hmm. and, and what it's done to our cities, I, I think it's, it's a time to do some, some thinking. Um, and, and, and these questions about urbanism, about, you know, our, our cultures and our societies, now are, are, are philosophical questions that have real uh, relevance uh, in terms of architecture, in terms of design, in terms of, of planning. Um, so on a day-to-day basis, you may not see it, but it's there at the core. And, and we, we definitely, we have a philosophy, you know, uh, in terms of architecture, in terms of, in terms of you know, uh, in terms of the values value chain that we that we want to put into our designs into our buildings that that is the foundation of how we make design decisions and we try to streamline it we try to like i said we try to to get it into our bones so that we don't have to think twice about it but there's for sure a philosophy that underlines the work that we do and we're always trying to refine that 
and to you know imbue it in in our office and in the work that we do yeah definitely like um, the world is definitely going to be a different place uh, you know after this pandemic uh, dies down um, you know, how, how much of an effect do you feel would it have on us architects and uh, the projects that we're going to uh, design in the future you know there i think the i think that the the biggest question and i think the biggest place of discussion is going to be over the over this question of density mm. right because in one hand we we've, we've seen fr- frankly the virus you know spread very fast in dense places um, exactly right large cities and in the in the denser neighborhoods of those cities uh to to put it simply in the in the poorer neighborhoods of those cities right the, these the the virus just spread very very fast so clearly it's related to density at, at the same time and i'll speak about america but i think it's i imagine it's true in india and other places in the world we have we have a housing shortage we we have mm. more demand than there is supply and we cannot keep up with the with the demand and that's going to be exacerbated people are out of out of jobs um people already are struggling to pay rent and that's just getting stronger and and when that happens people move to cities to they, they move to cities to look for work they move to cities to look for affordable housing and the need is is going to grow so on one hand we have to deal with the consequences of density and at the same time we we need to still push for more density we need to still push to increase the the capacity the stock or the supply of housing that's affordable and housing that that's that meets the needs of the citizens whether it's new york city it's america it's india it's 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 a really big need so at its at its core though that's there's a design challenge there how do you provide for two opposite needs at any given time um i think the other challenge that now architects are faced with although i think this is this this is maybe more opportunistic is that you've now had huge segments of the population working from home mm. for for long stretch of time right so our homes and and children learning from school at home our homes have become offices our homes have become schools exactly uh, or you know for me my home has become my synagogue mm-hmm. and i generally i pray in a synagogue several times a day and and i and now that it's closed my synagogue is closed and i i have to to pray from home uh they become our civic centers you know in terms of zoning boards are now done virtually yeah. and, pe- and people present and the the board members meet from their homes uh so so the home has become so it's become on one hand much more important you're spending much more time there you're spending much more time with your family and your domestic environment and it's also becoming multifunctional now it will exactly. it will obviously it will obviously recede it will draw back once once the pandemic recedes and once the restrictions get lifted. But I, th- I think in a certain sense, it's not going to, it's never going to go away because our eyes have been open to these possibilities that, that are just real and, and, and people actually like things about it. Um, and, and, and businesses like it too. If you can reduce the cost of, for example, your, your, the amount of, of, of floors area that you have to lease by 25 or 30 or 50%, and there's not a big hit to your production, 
I think any business would, would make that yeah. trade. Um, so yeah, we it, need to it, redefine it what a home is, right? We, we need to redefine what a home is, or, and, and we, we need to maybe see, open our eyes to what was there all along. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe we've been running away from it to a certain sense, you know? Um, yeah, there's and, a lot of positive things been, coming out of it, the COVID, but uh, once only after it dies down, like, uh, will it be even more positive? I mean, even for CO2 is at an all-time low, uh, there's so many positive things as well. That's right. That's right. You can actually breathe the air and, and you only leave your house to go to a park, right? Um, there, there's a lot of beautiful things that uh, the mask has been taken off of, so to speak. Yeah. Even, even though now we have to wear masks, but there's other things that are now our eyes are open to, which uh, I, I hope they will stay and I, I'm sure a lot of them will stay. And uh, what do you feel like... Um if you're designing a home in the future or a housing structure, uh, how much of an emphasis would you give on the technological side of uh, making a home, you know, uh, future-proof and uh, ready for the next pandemic? I don't know if, uh, hopefully that never happens, but still. Well, some of it's going to be mandated, I imagine. You know, the history of building codes in America has, has traditionally been driven by disasters, natural disasters, whether it's fires, whether it's earthquakes, whether it's floods, and certainly a pandemic qualifies. So there will be changes to the building codes, there will be legal changes. I imagine there'll be changes to zoning that will come out of this. Um, and and, and again, again, there's gonna be changes just in people's preferences. People are going to be anxious for a while, right? You know, uh, I don't know, one very simple thought that comes to mind is our, you know, maybe we're going to need to put more elevators in buildings because people will not feel comfortable crowding in elevators yeah. as they used to, or maybe corridors need to be designed as a loop um, so that you can circulate in one direction, or you know, maybe you need sort of waiting areas when you get off an elevator to, to let traffic pass. Th- these are um, just some thoughts off the top of my head again. And then getting back to this idea is do, do, do all apartments need to, in some sense, have, have home offices in one form or another. We, we actually do a lot of that or because the code allows you or, or yeah, maybe co-working spaces are incorporated into these buildings from the beginning. Um, I, you know, and then of course there's, there's the virtual technology, Yeah, you know, you know, what we're doing right now, video chatting, right? And that's, that's been, that's our mode of human communication now. And it's even, it's really, it's infrastructure. We're spending way more time now on the, you know, information highway than we are on, on asphalt highways. <laughs> so it's, it's actually an, infra, an infrastructure question. Yeah, that's a um, great quote, actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sort of amazed that, that, that it all works. You know, how many people are Zooming right now and they've been able to actually keep up with the man. That's amazing to me. Um, but does it become, you know, or, or maybe maybe in apartments, if you don't have a home office, maybe though at least you need to have a, a, a video conference nook, you know, so you can have a nice clean background and, and you, can, you can go on a web conference and your family members don't need to tiptoe around and, and, and you know, walk a certain <laughs> path in the home. Um, 
actually, but we designed, uh, or I, I designed a, uh, a, a plastic surgery office at a hospital here. Mm -hmm. This is, this is about three years ago. And, and in the design, we, we designed in a tele, a telehealth booth uh, because these things were already happening and now they're going to be put, you know, they're going to become even more integral. But there's, you know, that's a simple answer. You know, you don't maybe need an entire home office, but you do need somewhere, you know, almost like a phone booth in your home where you can have some privacy, um, even from your family, you know, and you could book the conference room (laughs) with your spouse or with with your kids going to school. Yeah. 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 Um, And uh, yeah, again, is it, you know, how do packages get to your door if everything is coming you know, through yeah. internet orders, groceries. And now drones also, right? So you'll have to think about balcony deliveries, possibly. Sure, sure. <laughs> there you go. No, uh, there. That's right. That's right. If 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 you're staying home and you're getting deliveries, and, and I imagine there's issues. You know, orders are delayed, but I think a lot of people probably like it. Um, and, and Amazon is renting a lot of new warehouse space. You know, business is great for Amazon. Um, these are new mode modalities of living that people, people like, and we'll see how it plays out, you know, in the market, but, but definitely worth trying and definitely worth seeing what sticks. And now's a time when people are, are open to these, to these new ideas. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, I just want to bring uh, something to light, which is, you know, um, uh, there are, there's a large chunk of the population, which is still, uh, struggling and that is the homeless and uh, in our case in india there are homeless people there's migrant laborers uh, there's, there's so many poor people that uh, they bear the biggest brunt uh, especially during a pandemic like this so how do you feel that architecture could help affordable housing could help um, how do we scale it up and make it uh, you know comfortable for not only us but for everyone thank you for asking that because it's just it's a really important question i think that's that's sort of at the crux of a lot of this. And, you know, going back for a second, asking about some of these new modalities of living, I think, I think a lot of that is maybe only relevant for what I'll call white collar workers. You know, what we've seen here in New York is, is that a lot of people have had to continue to go to work, whether they're working in hospitals, whether they're, they're working for the city. And frankly, it's, it's blue collar jobs. Construction has continued, um, all, even at a, at a reduced clip. And, and now, you know, the governor has announced that construction will be one of the first industries that can restart. And again, these are blue collar jobs. So I, I, I don't think economically speaking that, that working from home uh, will necessarily be, be something that's, that's there for, for the whole population. So we have to deal again, coming back to the density question, how do you provide more housing that's affordable, that's high quality, that brings positivity to the neighborhood, to the community, for you're right, for, for these people who are now newly homeless or on the brink of homelessness or are newly out of a job. And these jobs may not come back. Yeah. Uh, white collar workers may now become blue collar workers. Um, and, and it's an issue that, that Frankly, it's an infrastructure issue. It's an issue that affects our society on so many levels because it, t- it, it really, it, it takes up resources and, and we need to properly house people to, to stabilize our society as a whole, right? We need to have places for people to live that they can then go and work 
and their kids can then go to school. But if we don't have homes for people, then, then frankly, our society is not, is not fulfilling its basic needs. And, and, and that's more important now than ever. So again, I know that there's going to be backlash to density, to city living, mm. to, to putting a lot of people in, in, in smaller spaces, but it's more important now than ever. And we can make it safe. We will make it safe. And we can make it beautiful and it, and it will still be beautiful. This is a beautiful world. And, and we want to continue to, to make it more and more beautiful and, and just reveal the beauty that's there. And do you feel that uh, going forward, there would be uh, a lesser spend on exuberance and these luxury projects and a more emphasis on, uh, you know, providing for everyone that is uh, for the homeless and for the uh, guys who actually need housing and uh, proper architectural housing? You know, I, I, I can't see how it won't be. I mean, it, you're going to walk around, I think, New York City, and you'll see some buildings that were built over the last five, ten years, and and, and you sort of ask yourself, how did they, how did they do that? You know, um, is that is that market going to still be around? Is it even ethically the right thing to do? Um, you know, this that they, they, it will continue, and 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 we will continue to provide those services, of course. But I think that. We're, they're going to have to start to learn to do more with what we have, right? That, that we can't work with excess and, and architects are, have worked hard and are going to continue to work hard to provide really high quality work. But we, we personally have been doing this, this type of work. This is, this is what we've been doing for 30 years. We feel, you know, there's a lot of talk about essential services. We think our architecture is essential. You know, we, we think we, we've always tried to hone in on what the values are and, and what, what this, this building and this project really needs to provide. And to do that, like I said, it doesn't need to cost you $11. If it costs 10, we can do it for 10 and it's going to be a really beautiful, nice building. And, and that, that skill set is really important right now because we have to continue to provide the services and it can't just be drab architecture. It can't just be, you know, dark spaces it has to still be really high quality and it has to still provide people with a sense of home um, so that that comes down to simplicity of materials clarity of intent um, and and execution right yeah i think there should be an extra emphasis on uh, simplicity uh, just like how steve jobs uh, wanted to make everything so e easy for users to use um, but, uh, you know, but uh, there is a certain uh, architectural audience where they feel that box buildings are boring, uh, they're too uh, drab, uh, there's nothing exciting about them, we need more fluidic architecture. So uh, do you feel that in the future that affordable housing can also be more uh, fluidic just to please, uh, or is it only going to be the same uh, box type uh, buildings? I mean, this is sort of a uh, difficult question to answer, but uh, right, right. I th I think I think where I'm going here, and what we're seeing is that what you would call five years a box building was actually ahead of its time. Right, that in this in this era that we're coming into, that's so to speak state of the art. Now it's but it's hard. It's very hard to design a simple, rigorous building. It's very very difficult. Right, and 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 to make it beautiful is, it's 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 not something that that you can just you know do in a day. It's not something that you can spit out of rhino. 
can't yeah. spit it out of Maya. And and I know these things and I love them and I have a lot of fun with them. But but it's it's not I, I believe it doesn't fit into to our values necessarily in terms of, of what we want to provide for the people and for our clients. And and but that doesn't mean that it's not exciting and it doesn't mean that it's not transformative and it doesn't mean that it's not beautiful. Now if you're asking about maybe parametricism, right? That that's that's question what the place of that is in housing. I, I honestly think that it might be more appropriate in terms of planning and urbanism, right? Uh, it, it, it's important in terms of networks, which may be our virtual or digital uh, or supply chains, right? And, and those are real spaces that I, I believe that's where the parametric is, is more relevant and more applicable than in the brick and mortar because yeah. people have been trying to, to uh, democratize that type of design for let's say the last 10 years, if not longer. Yeah, I mean, if and, you go to architecture school, it's all about these fancy designs and uh, crazy graphics. So, but once you get out of the real world, it's uh, way different, right? Yeah, but, but again, it comes down to, to putting design first, right? To, to, I, I love it. I love, you know, the next time we get together, I'll show you my school projects. All right. And I love when I, when I interview someone and they come and they, and they show me something that, that's all meshed out, right? And it has some, some wacky texture maps on it. Mm-hmm. I think it's awesome. And, and that's what we should be, that's what our, our, our students should be learning to do in school because they're putting design first, they're letting their minds go, they're, they're, they're using the technology we have for creativity and they're just, they're just so facile with it to a way that, that if you don't do that, you can never, you can never get there. Now, 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 when it comes to then providing something like affordable housing, that's where the tension happens and that's where it's really exciting. How do you take those skills and take that drive and take that energy and, and, and just use it to meet people's needs yeah. and, to, and to improve our society? And, and you know, we can't, get, we can't get tied up in the form, right? Because I, I think it, it has to do with, with the way we think about it and the way we look at buildings and the way we conceive of buildings that, that's not necessarily tied to the form and the shape of the building. And, and that that type of design is still relevant and it's still a valid way to teach, to teach students. And, and it's, it's still a valid way to think, but it, it happens on so many other levels. There's so many, there's supply chains, there's, there's understanding how contractors work. There's understanding how a real estate transaction gets done. And these are all the inputs to your algorithm, so to speak. And, and the building that comes out of it is, is a result of all these inputs, uh, you know, so so it might look different, but I think the way of thinking is still is still very valid. Yeah, form definitely follows uh, function and also a lot of inputs as well, constraints and so many other things. Well, then this is even more than function. It follows. I'm going to say it value since we're talking about what's essential. I'm going to say form follow, follows essence, right? So let's talk about an apartment building. What's the essence of an apartment building? What are the values of an apartment building? It's a home, right? It's a construction project. It's a, it's a piece in the fabric of a community. These are things, these are the values that are at the essence of an apartment building. It's a, it's a, fa- a financial transaction. So the form follows the essence. The form follows the values that are driving the, the creation of this project. Right? So it's not, and it's not minimalist. 
right? We're not using brick because because we've decided that this is a a beautiful material that we want to focus on and only work with brick. We work with brick because it's a material that people know how to use. Craftsmen know how to use it. Builders know how to use it. The market knows how to provide it at scale, right? Architects know how to detail it. Mm. And people are comfortable when they see a brick building walking down the street. So let's use brick and, and, let's, and let's do a really beautiful brick building, right? Because that, that's what the essence of this building is about, are meeting all these people's needs and, and, and satisfying their values. And uh, before I, you know, I, I want to go back to architecture school now and, uh, uh, you know, make some thesis, uh, which is related to what's happening right now. So uh, how do you feel that the education system in architecture is going to change? Or do you feel that it would change uh, or maybe bring in new ideas to students? That's for sure. That's, that's definitely going to happen, I guess. Right. You know, I, when I was in school, there was the Hurricane Sandy came, hmm. which was which was I don't know if, how much you heard about it over there, but it, it really did a lot of damage to New York and hmm. New York region. So so that happened uh, it, right before my last semester. So we had a few projects that and, 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 and that was, there was a lot of thought put into what does it mean now you know, to be flood resilient? And and those semesters were not about form. They were asking serious questions. Our professors were asking serious questions from us in our studios, um, and and that's 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 the mo the biggest thing we can we can ask of our students is that they should think seriously about these questions. Think seriously about about density. Think seriously about home and domesticity. Right. Think seriously about construction and infrastructure and scale. Um, and, and, and economies, and, and now we can't expect students to be able to, to weigh all these things in a moment the mm. way we do in practice. But take one, take one of these questions and take it seriously and explore it with the tools that you have. Uh, you know, if, if, you know if, if you know 3DS Max because that's what you've been doing, then use that and, and, and explore these questions and attack these questions and ask more questions of your own. And, and that's the biggest thing we can, we can ask from our students, that they're gonna come, they're going to get jobs, there will be jobs, and they're gonna learn the other skills you need. They're gonna learn about building codes and, and, and zoning and detailing and uh, RFIs. They're going to learn that stuff, but now they need to be training themselves to think about and ask, and grapple with with these questions that are now in a sense it's a gift for a student this is like a gift you have big questions that people don't know the answers yet that you're going to be asked to look at and you don't have to look far to you know to, to find a topic a subject something to do to do work about and something to to grapple with all right awesome i think that's some great advice for students and uh, i'm sure like uh, they'll be pretty inspired by listening to you like how i am well, this is, I'm really enjoying this because I have an opportunity to speak to a young person like yourself in a different part of the world. Yeah. And this is exciting. Like I said, we, we love, we love, part of our favorite parts is the people that we meet in our work, the people that come to work with us in our office, our clients. It's just so exciting, you know, and, and that's what's hard about the, the, the quarantine, right, is, is uh, the lifeblood of our business is meeting people. 
but now you know now, now I'm meeting you and and uh, you're on the other side of the world. So we have to stay positive. That's the big challenge right now. I think everyone's staying positive and staying upbeat and and you know appreciating where we what we do have now and things that are going on now and learning from it and and uh, we're going to be stronger for it yeah absolutely all right um you know before i let you go there are a few things i want to talk about uh, some more maybe on affordable housing uh, you know uh, sustainability in projects right it's not just the uh, rainwater harvesting system or the solar panels that you put up on the terrace or maybe uh, even the materials right it's also more about the design like uh, how functionally does it work how well does it work how good is the lighting inside the space so how would you define sustainability in your projects it's a great question and i think i'm you know i'm just going to tie it back again to what we've been talking about because it's so prevalent right now you know traditionally at least here in america home is a place where you spend you know let's say from 6 p.m. or if the kids maybe get home at 4 p.m. Uh, and, and you know, maybe the, the mother or in some cases the father is home all day, but the, prime, the, the house gets used most, right, at between 5 and 9 p.m. at night or something, right, at the end of the morning. Now a house is being used, at least right now, the house is being used all day long, right? It's, so the engine is running all day and sometimes all night. Yeah. depending on, on how many children you have and, and where, where they're at in their sleep cycle. But, you know, so, so in the big scope of things, houses don't use that, apartment buildings don't really use that much energy if you think about it. Now, of course, there's a lot of units and it, and it adds up, and especially if someone has a large home in the suburbs. But, but in terms of just hours of use, in theory, a house should not be using that many resources you know, this is given the, the, the way economies work. But, the, but the, so again, the key is, is understanding what the home is about, who's using it, when they're using it, what they're doing there, right? So, so before you go and throw some solar panels on it, and before you harvest rainwater, part of it is just, is just optimizing the use of the building, right? that there shouldn't be, be waste in terms of the design of the building. That's where, the, that's where sustainability in my mind starts, that you, you optimize the design of the building, the use of floor area, the, the construction, because a lot of the embedded carbon in the building comes from construction. Yeah. And again, it doesn't mean finding new sustainable materials. It, it just means building it in the most inefficient way possible, mm. right? And, and, not, and not being wasteful in how we build and design buildings. Now, again, then it comes into questions of I don't know, heating and cooling a building. That's, that's obviously a, a, maybe the biggest draw on energy, especially in a home. So we, right, you know, we, we, we're, we, we look to our engineers, but we see now a lot of it is in terms of VRF. We're maybe going a lot more to electric only. We don't we use less natural gas. Um, and this is, this is, again, I think, where where it comes down to because the, and, and it doesn't meet people's needs if you if you heat a building or cool a building in a way that doesn't meet people's needs yeah then they're going to they're, they're going to overuse it and then you're going to again you're going to waste energy so for example baseboard heating right radiators super simple you can you can argue about whether it's the most you know to burn gas 
but but if that heats the building during the winter and the, the building management can shut it off at the right time, mm. that the, to provide energy the way it's needed and used is the most sustainable way to live. You know, now the, there's requirements for green sustainability that the city provides and so on and so forth. But I think again, it, got, it comes down to understanding and building as a whole and getting in touch with what that's about. And that's that's you know the, that's my the way I feel. That's the way we are most sustainable. Yeah, and even technology can also help uh, to a large extent. Well, it, it, very sophisticated building management systems. I'd say in that level, it's interesting. I don't know how much more time we have, but yeah, we I think a ahead. lot of the technology gets um, put off on the individual, right? To give the user more control, which in terms of sustainability is actually, it's maybe um, counterintuitive. The biggest, I think, savings that we get are, are, the, are the, the changes that have been made to efficiency you know, boiler efficiencies, the efficiency with which we can burn fuel, the ways in which building owners are able to manage their building system. Now, that's not to say that tenants and individuals shouldn't have control of their space because they should, but, but you have to understand that, that in terms of, of sustainability, the goal being to maximize our resources and minimize our, our footprint on the environment, the technology is happening on a, on a really deep level and, and what, you, what the user is exposed to is a very, very you know, superficial surface, surface level of it. And we, but again, you have to provide them for the expected level of comfort and you have to provide them for the expected level of control. But it's the play between those two things where the technology becomes super important, right? It takes a very, very smart system to provide control for the owner and control for the user in a way that, that can meet both of their needs. Yeah, I think that's uh, almost, we're almost there to that point, but uh, yeah. Um, but you know, it's, 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 it's an exciting time. I think, you know, the other thing you've seen is, you know, I'm not gonna, I don't know how the pandemic started, but obviously we've been stressing our resources that, you know, as a planet. And you mentioned it now, now the air is clean and you can go and walk out. And at the same time, it's like, Thank God there's been, there's been enough food, right? Our days are, are full and we're busy. Um, you, know, you know, there's ways in which we were living, which, which maybe we don't need to be everywhere all the time. And yeah. Maybe we don't need to, to use so many resources. Maybe we don't need to pump so much you know, smoke into the airs. Um, you know, obviously we can't live this way forever. It's stressing our societies in lots of other ways. But but there's there's ways in which as a society we can we can change our lifestyles and you know, more walkable neighborhoods, uh, people working at home closer to home. These are all things that will help our environment and, and will help everyone's quality of life. Yeah, and uh, we are definitely like an outdoor species, so uh, we can't really you know stick to one place for a long time. So uh, yeah, so hopefully we'll get back to some parties and. Uh, some amount of uh, outdoor activities in the future yeah yeah and you know find a park and go out and go for a walk and go for a hike and uh you know and, and appreciate our surroundings god god gave us this beautiful earth so we should appreciate it and just take good care of it all right great uh, eli uh, uh, i just want to ask you like what are your future plans uh, for the firm for yourself 
where do you see yourself maybe 10 years from now? So I, I think starting with the future, the future is now. We're, you know, like I mentioned, the lifeblood of our business has always been getting out and meeting people, which is hard right now. So we're actually, we're, we're, we're working on a project right now a networking project and that's sort of our number one focus right now and it's 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 exciting i think it's new and it's different we're going to be coming out with that in the next few weeks uh we'd love if you would participate in it uh again the idea of, of, of encouraging people to meet and be social and and to get some positive energy going going around right now um further out we're just gonna you know we're going to keep pushing on the housing that's what we love Hmm. We're going to obviously provide a lot of affordable housing because that's what's needed and, and we have a passion for it. Um, you know, I, I would like to see Meltzer Mandel. Most of our work has been in New York City. If we expand beyond New York City, you know, if, if we go to the broader region, to America at large, maybe even to India. Yeah, that would be awesome. You know, that's, that, that would be cool, man. I mean, that's, that's, uh, we're looking to grow right now and that, and that's our, that's one of our primary goals. And, uh, you know, let's let's get out there, and we want to make a positive influence on the world, and and, and we want to meet lots of people, and and, you know, and enjoy what, what we have here. Yeah, housing is like a big problem in India, and uh, the we give. I mean, the people have a bigger hand in housing because they construct the do-it-yourself uh, homes. Uh, you know, like shacks, and uh, there's the biggest slum in Asia is Darwi in Mumbai. So. Uh, since we don't have housing to uh, accommodate us, we create this huge uh, uh, sort of, it's like an organism which uh, starts growing and people just keep coming. They try to evolve with the place. So it's, uh, it's, I think it's relative to every place. It depends on the government. And, uh, but yeah, hopefully, um, you know, you know, as also as an architect, um, how much of, uh, a dialogue do you have with the client or with the community at large who are going to stay at uh, your buildings or the projects you're going to stay in? In, in New York, it's a lot. Um, you know, there's community board meetings. The, the client we're obviously very in touch with and the cl these clients are embedded in the communities that they're serving and it's in their best interest to, to have a positive relationship with those communities, right? And, and if it's through political organizations or it's just through community organizations or just personal relationships, it's, it's vital. It's so important that, that there's a buy-in from the community, right? And, and there's a buy-in from the government agencies because we do get subsidy from them. And, and it's really a collaborative effort. It's really a team effort. Um, and like you said, every, locale is different so that's that's one reason why again we focus on new york city because we understand and we're in touch with these different pieces and we're comfortable with it um you know if you just go across the river to new jersey it's a very different system uh, in, in terms of just how projects get built and and how they the community interacts with it so it's super important i think it's fascinating to hear how it goes on in india i'd love to maybe do another hour about housing in india yeah um, maybe that's the next round yeah, definitely. We're going to have you in the future as well and uh, go in depth on uh, certain topics. It's, a, it's always uh, uh, interesting to have guests over again and talk about, you know, how much they've progressed, what they have plans uh, for the future. And, uh, and yeah, it's all, everyone has a journey to say, tell, and it's great to have you on, uh, Eli.
Thank you, Manisha. It was wonderful to meet you, and I just wish you and your family the best. Stay safe and uh, stay positive, and uh, hope to see you in person. You know, so, so on this side of the ocean or that side of the ocean, very soon. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, Eli. Before I let you go, there is this small quick fire round which I have of the podcast. So I'll just ask you a bunch of questions, and you could give uh, brief answers. Sure. All right. So, which book has inspired you the most? Uh, maybe as an architect or in general as well. The, the Torah. I, I live my life by the by the words of the Torah, the, the five books of Moses. All right. Um, what What's on your playlist right now? My playlist right now, uh, a lot of white noise because I've been sharing. <laughs> I've been sharing my my bedroom with my son who's attending school okay. online. All right. Um, which city would you consider your favorite? My favorite city. Uh, I love I love Jerusalem. I spent a year studying there. It's a very special place. It's a very walkable city, um, and obviously has a lot of history to it. The weather's pretty good. Definitely, I think it's better than New York. Um, I have a lot of family there too. Yeah, I think that's the first time someone said like a, a city which is better than New York. So that's uh, interesting to you. I, I love I love New York, but it's Jerusalem is special. All right. Uh, you know what is the daily routine in your life? You know before the pandemic uh, started. Yeah, I, I I try to get up early. I, like I said, I go to synagogue. I come home. I I, I, love, I try to have breakfast with my family. Uh, get them off the kids off to school. And then, you know, I'm, I'm in the office, although I, I can, you know, I, I don't, I have trouble sitting in one place for too long. So I try, I, I have meetings. I try to get around, get into our clients' offices. Uh, and I try to generally, you know, my work day, I try to split, I'd say into thirds. You know, one third of it is focused on production and, and getting the work done and managing the work. Uh, another third is, is looking for new work, marketing, meeting people, networking, and then the last third is, is sort of just managing the business, you know, payroll and the bookkeeping and uh, staffing and, and all the nitty gritty. Um, and then, you know, again, try to be home for dinner, find some time to maybe go for a run during the day, spend some time with my wife uh, and, and get, a, get a good night's sleep. Once a week we keep, we observe the Sabbath. So that's wonderful every Friday night. And just spend the day with my family and and have some nice meals together and my wife is an amazing cook and she produces a feast for us which is very special awesome. um yeah and and you know i'm fortunate i work with my father i get to see him a lot and see my mother and uh you know that's that was the life we i was living and yeah, how get back to it, it? no uh... it, it's sort of the same it just all happens in my apartment <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Uh, Eli, I think I'll uh, have you, uh, you know, I wanted to discuss more about religious spaces and how an architect designs these spaces, but maybe we could keep it uh, for the future episode. Or sure. Maybe, or, uh, and also, what's the best way our listeners could get in touch in case, you know, they want to reach out to you? Yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn and uh, check out our website, meltzermandelpc.com. Uh, and there's a link there, you know, they, they, you can send us uh, an email. Um, and obviously, you know how to get in touch with me. So yeah. that, that's the way too. But, you know, LinkedIn I love and because we can be, you know, build our community and share things. That's, and that's our big social media platform. Yeah, everyone's on LinkedIn right now. Yeah. 
Although right. again, we're we're looking for new for new ways to communicate. You know, how can you have that like networking experience? So that's very much yeah. on my mind right now. All right, thanks, Eli, uh, for coming to the Arkyan podcast for taking your time out and uh, sharing your story. It was uh, pretty informational, firstly, and also very inspirational. So thanks, and I hope to have you in the future as well. Thanks so much, Manish. Best of luck and take care. You've been listening to the Ak Young Podcast. We're still building the community. Please share this knowledge with someone you know who could benefit. Just send them to akyoung.com where you'll find our free newsletter and for more podcast episodes. Search for the show on any major podcasting platform. Don't forget to subscribe where you're listening right now. And if you liked it, leave a rating or review.